right, guys, we're we're going we're in lesson eleven today. We're still progressing on in the book of Judges. Now, the Judges is a really good book to kind of tell you what life was like in Israel in a three hundred year period. Okay, so this is this book covers about three hundred years between the time of Joshua's death and really Samuel and the calling of the first king and then David's introduction. And what you're going to see was is it really wasn't that great of a time period. Okay, Tribes were very loosely organized. They forgot their covenant obligations, worshiping the Lord only, putting away the foreign gods, destroying the foreign gods, not intermingling with the Canaanite peoples, and you see that they do the exact opposite. They end up worshiping the Baals. They have the Ashtaroth poles. And God brings up an oppressor. Brings up people to oppress them. And God then raises up a deliverer after they cry out to the Lord and, quote, repent. And, of course, there is a deliverance. And then there's a period of time of peace but that doesn't mean that they're purely trusting the Lord again. Because as soon as the judge dies, guess what happens, folks? They go back to their old habits again, and it's not good. Okay? It's not good. In fact, you say that same pattern throughout the whole of the Old Testament. There would be a good, godly ruler and he kind of imposes on the land that this is what needs to happen. But people still end up doing their own thing. Maybe secretly at first, but then openly when that good ruler is gone. Okay? So now we're going to enter into the time period right after Gideon. Now remember when we talked about Gideon, we finished our discussion last week with Gideon. The text tells us that Gideon had 70 sons. All right, now... Let me just stop for a moment. 70 legitimate sons. So these are 70 sons that he had through legitimate wives. So he had to have many wives, okay? If you figure that, okay, so like, for instance, I remember being in Kenya, okay, Kenya, East Africa. At that time, the average woman in Kenya would have eight kids, okay? So you figure, all right, if you figure... He, he had to have had at least eight or nine wives. Do did, did, did you understand? So it doesn't tell you how many girls he had. I mean, daughters he had, okay? So he had 70 legitimate sons. And then the text tells you that he also had concubines, which are a lesser wife, okay? A lesser wife. So that's not a, it's a wife. But that wife, the offspring of that, she had no rights. The children of that had no rights to his his provision, his, his inheritance. Do you understand? So you see that, and he has a uh, son by the name of Sh- Abimelech from Shechem. So that's how it ends. He dies at a good old age. Okay? And so he has these 70 sons. And so now we're going to enter into chapter 8, verse 3. There's missing a dash there. Through chapter 10, verse 5. 
And we're going to talk about Abimelech, but we're also going to talk about five verses that go over some minor judges that are just mentioned very briefly that happen after Abimelech. Okay? Now, Abimelech is not considered a judge, but this is a side story to talk about really the sadness of the time and how evil it was. Okay? How evil it was. So again, we're not going to read through this passage. We're just kind of going to go through it to give you an idea of what's going on. So again, it starts off the section in chapter 8, verses 33 through 35, talking about the digression of Israel again, that it just went downhill as soon as Gideon's dead. Okay, so notice with me. Here's the first one. Soon after the death of Gideon, Israel returned to idolatry. Soon after the death of Gideon, Israel returned to idolatry. And notice it says soon. It didn't take long. Now, I think it didn't take long for a lot of different reasons. Because I don't think, remember Gideon made the ephod? And that resulted in Israel whoring after, he made a golden breastplate. Do you understand? And then they started going and worshiping that golden breastplate. So I, I think even though he was the one that God chose to be the judge and the leader, and he, you know, and he said he wouldn't take the kingship, worship God only, even though he, he wasn't, he was compromised. And as soon as he died, they just make the complete shift back over to Baal. Okay? So Israel returned to idolatry. Israel did not remember the Lord who delivered them, and they did not appreciate Gideon's family. So two things are noticed here. They, they forgot who God was. Now, I think we know that, right? All right? All right, stop for a moment. Think, for, think with me. How many of you, through the years, okay, so I've, I've been a believer now. It's going to be 35 years here in April, okay? If you think back to how long you've been around church, and you can think about people who at one time really loved the Lord and were, were seeking after God, and they were involved in everything, and then now you think back and it's like who they are today isn't any reflection of who they were back then. In fact, they don't even want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with church. Church isn't even a part of their lives anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you know people like that, right? Okay. What happened? They forgot God. And they've lived their life without God, right? They've lived their life without God. Same thing's happening here. The other thing is, as soon as Gideon was dead, who cares that he delivered us from the Midians? Who cares that he delivered us from the Midianites? They didn't show any honor to the family of the man who delivered them from their oppression. It's like it didn't matter anymore. So that's significant, okay? That's significant. So you see this digression taking place. So now we come to chapter 9. Chapter 9 is completely devoted to the difficulty with Abimelech. Now, usually when you talk to people and you say to people, who are the kings, who were the original kings of Israel? Everybody will mention Saul, because we know Saul, right? 
And of course, everybody mentions who? David. And then you mention his son, who? Solomon. And then after that, we know the kingdom divides. Okay. Well, Judges tells us there's a false king. Judges tells us that there's another guy who appointed himself king. Remember, they offered the kingship to who? Gideon. We saw that last week. Gideon refused. There's only one king in Israel. That's who? The Lord. He had enough sense to say no. Here we have a guy, we're going to see the story, Abimelech, who makes himself king, who they make king. Now, it's very evident from the text that this is not appropriate. Okay? This is not appropriate. And so here's what we're going to see. Let's go through this. There's a guy named Abimelech, and this is a terrible time. Okay? So Abimelech rallied the men of Shechem to choose him as leader rather than Gideon's sons. The men of Shechem, first of all, Shechem is where his mother was from. So his people were from there. And scholars believe that basically Gideon, she was a, quote, concubine or a wife, but she lived with her own people. So basically, whenever Gideon went around to an area, which probably means he had more than one concubine, okay? He probably, whenever he showed up in Shechem, that was his wife. You know what I'm saying? She was a wife, but not a not as a full wife as his others. And so Abimelech probably was raised in, he was the son of Gideon, not recognized because he's a son of a concubine. And he says to his his wife, his mother's people, hey, I'm, I'm one of you. And he says to the men of Shechem, do you want the 70 sons of Gideon ruling over you? Choose me as leader. You know what I'm saying? Choose me as leader. And because they're not really good people, they do that. So Abimelech hires mercenaries with money given to him by the men of Shechem. Now, it's interesting, the text will also tell you that in Shechem, they set up an altar to Baal. They set up an altar to Baal, and so the men of Shechem take a number of pieces of silver from the temple, the Baal worship site, and give it to Abimelech. And Abimelech, it says, hires worthless men, worthless and ruthless men. Well, he hired mercenaries. Okay, he hired mercenaries. He hires himself an army with this sum of money. So then it says, now the text tells you that he killed the 70 sons on a rock. If you read the text, you'll see it says he killed 70 sons on a rock. All right, now how do you do that? How do you kill 70 different people on one rock? You execute them on that rock. That's what he means. Probably... He went to where his father's home area was. It does say he went to their home area. And, of course, with an army, mercenaries, capture these 70 sons, execute them on one rock. Okay? Executes them on rock. Well, actually, they executed 69 of them. Because one, Jotham, Gideon's youngest son, was spared because he hit himself. So the youngest son of Gideon, the youngest legitimate son of Gideon, was spared because he hid himself. All right? He hid himself. 
And so he wasn't executed. So the other 69 brothers were all killed on a rock. Okay? Executed on a rock. So the man of Shechem, here's what happens. The man of Shechem made Abimelech king. Made him king. The king of Israel. You probably never knew that. Well, it's because nobody recognizes his kingship. But he was made illegitimately without the Lord king of Israel. Because when you look at the kings that we do recognize, Saul and David, were they recognized by the Lord as king over Israel? Yes. This guy is made king and he's not recognized by the Lord. Okay? He's not recognized by the Lord. So, Jotham then, the son, shared a parable to show what they have chosen, that they have chosen the worthless to rule over them. So, I mean, it's only wise, from the distance, and that would make sense, right? From a distance, Jotham yells down to the men a proclamation. And he starts out with a parable, a story. And in the story, he talks about how they wanted to make one of the trees, one of the trees, king over every other tree. And so he goes then through the parable through each one of the trees, an olive tree, different trees, and they all refuse because they have something better to do. The olive trees, you know, so until they come to a bramble. Does everybody know what a bramble is? Briars. And the briar says, I'll be king. And so the purpose of the parable is to show that rather than choosing that which is good, which, but the, the good refused because they had something better, a better purpose, they chose the worthless. And wasn't a briar worthless? Yeah, it's pretty worthless, right? Unless you're picking blackberries off of it, right? Okay. It's pretty worthless. And... They chose that to be king. So he uses that as an illustration. So then he points out that they dishonored Gideon and his family who delivered them. So he just flat out says to them, you dishonored Gideon and his family by consenting, by being involved in the execution of his sons. You didn't show any honor to the man who delivered you, Jotham says. Okay? And then finally... Jotham prophesied, uh, that's one way of putting it, you could also say cursed, all right, prophesied that Shechem and Abimelech would be devoured. Shechem, the city, would be devoured, and Abimelech would be devoured, all right? So we see that, he makes that prophecy, all right? So then, now, (laughs) it goes from there, That's after verse 21. It goes to verse 22, and you start seeing that there's some problems happening. Okay? Some problems. Because first of all, you got worthless, evil men who have conspired to do this, who have executed this, and now, as with always, when you have evil men who do evil things, stuff happens to them too, right? 
Bad stuff happens as a result, and that's exactly what we're going to see here. So here's what happened. After, it says, after three years, so they had a honeymoon period. Isn't that what they call the honeymoon period, three years? So after three years of their honeymoon, some problems start to emerge, okay? So the Lord sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and Shechem. Now, it tells you right here in the text who caused this ill will to happen. Who caused it? Yeah, God, because he had a purpose, right? God is the one who's in control of things. This is not the Lord's king for Israel, right? Okay, plus he's pretty upset. We're going to see it in the latter part of this chapter He's upset with the execution of Gideon's sons. So he sends a spirit of ill will to create a problem between Abimelech and Shechem. The Lord did this in order to avenge the blood of Gideon's family who had been killed. Text is very clear that this was done to avenge the blood of Gideon's family who had been killed. Okay? God is the one who ultimately brings vengeance, isn't he? Isn't that why he says vengeance is mine? God is ultimately the one, and I think that's a good principle for you and I, because people do us wrong, right? Our natural reaction is to want to what? Strike back at them, right? But ultimately, God is the one who brings vengeance. All right, so here he's causing a spirit of ill will. He did this in order to avenge the blood of Gideon's family. So there's this fellow, this is the only time you're going to see him mentioned, he's mentioned in chapter 9, Gale. Gale. Interesting name, never seen anybody named that name except here in chapter 9. Gale stirred up the men of Shechem to follow him in rebellion against Abimelech. So maybe, I think they were in a, maybe they must have been in a tavern and people boast things like, why are you letting that guy follow you? Follow me, I'm a better leader, whatever. And the men of Shechem start listening to him. Okay? They start listening to him. There's another fellow, you're only going to see him mentioned here in this chapter, Zebul. He is the ruler of the city. So you could say he's kind of like the governor of the city, or we would say the mayor, okay? Whatever, he is the leader who's been appointed over this city, probably somebody who's close to Abimelech. He warned Abimelech about the treachery. So when you read this chapter, you'll see he sends a message to Abimelech. Hey, there's some guy here who's stirring up trouble. Stirring up trouble. You need to come and take care of this. So he invited Abimelech to come to the city at night to deal with Gale and his rebellion. Come to the city. Come at night. So Abimelech raises an army, comes to the city at night comes to the city at night. In the morning, the text says it's very interesting. I think they're either standing on the outside, the outer side of the city, or on the wall. They're looking out over. And Gale sees in the in the dusk what looks like men coming. And it says that Zebul says, no, 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 that's 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 just shadows you're seeing from, from the sunrise. And then, of course, he says, no, no, that looks like man. And then Zabel says, well, now, where's your big talk now? That's Abimelech. He's coming to get you. It's all in the text. You can see it yourself. 
So Abimelech took the city. This is, this is what's so brutal. Took the city and killed all within and salted the ground. Salted the ground. Now what does that mean, salted the ground? Yeah, nothing could grow, so what would they do? What would they do? They would spread it over the fields. Salt. Okay? This was an ancient method of when they dealt with the people. They wanted the land to be barren so nothing would grow on it, so they put salt in the ground to keep things from growing there. So Abimelech salted the ground. He killed everybody in the city. And I, I would say that's pretty pretty rough, right? But, I mean, this is all part of God's judgment. Isn't that what Jotham prophesied? That Shechem would be devoured? Okay? Shechem would be devoured? So, the men of Shechem sought refuge in a tower which Abimelech burnt down. So the men of Shechem go to a tower. Most of these places would have a strategic tower that you could go in for refuge, and you could hold off an attack in one of these towers. Well, Abimelech knows how to take care of these towers, so he basically burns the gates of the tower, burns the tower down. Okay? So this resulted in the death of the men of Shechem, as well as 1,000 men and women were killed. That must have been a big tower. That must have been a big tower. There was a thousand people in this tower and they were killed. Okay? They were killed. So Abimelech laid siege to Thebes, which is another community. Maybe they were part of the rebellion as well. And the people sought refuge in a tower. Okay? So again, he laid siege to this town. The people are seeking refuge in a tower. That's the defensive position there. Now here's where the story gets interesting. Seeking to burn this tower, Abimelech was killed by a stone that a woman dropped on his head. So Abimelech is thinking, we're going to do the same thing here. We're going to take care of this tower just like we took care of the tower in Shechem. And so they go and they make an assault on the tower to burn it down. There, the text tells you it's not just a woman, it's an old woman. And she dropped a stone. You know, they would do that. They would throw stones down. She dropped the stone and cracked his head. It said it crushed his head. Must have fractured his skull. All right? That's pretty... Yeah, that is amazing. That tells you it was God. Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, she probably was just... I mean, she probably wasn't aiming. Oh, there he is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she's... Throwing a stone down, hoping to hit somebody. Well, she hits the, quote, king in the head and cracks his skull. This is not the only thing that happens now. So that no one would say he was killed by, it should be an old woman, he told his armor bearer to kill him. So he's laying there di dying because his skull is cracked. And he tells his armor bearer, that would be like an assistant, Run your sword through me because I don't want anybody to say that Abimelech was killed by an old woman. But we all know that that's how he was killed, right? So his that happens, his armor bearer runs him through and he dies. So God repaid the wickedness done to Gideon's family. 
I would ultimately say God dealt with this false king. This false king. Now, he's never mentioned again, ever. Ever. No reference to him whatsoever in his, quote, kingship. It only lasted three years. Do you understand? His kingship, quote, only lasted three years. All right? But he's only mentioned here in the book of Judges, and it reflects a time when they were without a true king. Okay? When they were without a true king. This was done in accordance with the prophecy or curse uttered by Jotham. This was done in accordance with the prophecy or the curse, if whatever you want to call it, uttered by Jotham, the final and only living son of, legitimate son of Gideon. Okay? So now we come to the minor Judges. Now we're referring to them as minor judges. We're not saying that they had an insignificant role. We're only referring to them as minor judges simply because not much is said about them. It, not much is said about them, so let's talk about them for a moment. The first is a guy named Tola. All right? So after Abimelech, Tola was raised up to judge Israel for 23 years. That's all it says. That after Abimelech, there was a judge by the name of Toa, and he judged Israel for what? 23 years. Okay? 23 years. That's all we know. After Toa came another. That's an interesting name, isn't it? That you'll name, you'll, you'll encourage your kids to name their children Tola, right? Okay? Um, after Tola, Jar. That's even better, isn't it? Okay? Jar was raised up to judge Israel for 22 years. Okay? For 22 years. After Tola, Jar was raised up to judge Israel for 22 years. Now, there's a little bit more information here about Jar in the text. What kind of information? Well, Jar had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. And 30 towns arose in Gilead during his judgeship. And they all had the name Jar in their, in the name of their village. Okay? Now, you're saying to yourself, why would you mention that his 30 sons had 30 donkeys? Anybody know why the text would tell you that? Why would the text tell you he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys? What's significant about that? I want you to think for a moment. Why would you say that? Huh? Well, it doesn't have, no, it has nothing to do with the towns, but we're talking about the sons riding on donkeys. Why is that significant? No, it doesn't have anything, don't, don't spiritualize it. Don't spiritualize it. Okay. Throwing stuff out there. Okay, Lori? Well, no, it has nothing to do with them being not warrior type, but it maybe has something to do with something else. <laughs> no, that didn't exist then, okay? That didn't exist then, okay? Uh, you know, didn't exist then at all. Anybody else? I'll give you one more chance. Anybody else got a chance? Okay. All right, you know what? I remember years ago, growing up when I was younger, so this has been a long time ago now, 40-some years ago, living in the South, 
dad would drive by a neighborhood and see somebody with a Lincoln Town Car or a Caddy and say, those folks got money because they're driving a Lincoln Town Car or a Caddy. You all know what I'm talking about? You would say that about somebody back then. Now it doesn't really care. Nobody drives a Lincoln Town Car unless they're really old, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? You would say, by the type of vehicle they drive, you could tell whether or not they have finances. Now, back in those days, okay, back in those days, most people walked. And to have a donkey, let alone have 30 sons who each have a donkey, what does that tell you about that family? They're, all right, loaded. That's exactly right. They were of some sort of financial means. That's the point here. Because he didn't say 30 sons with one donkey to share between them. 30 donkeys. That's ex Yeah, do you understand? So that's telling you that that uh, Jar here was a man of significant influence and power and money, right? Yep, yep. Tells you that. That's pretty significant. So that's why you see that kind of, like, because you're looking, you're reading it, and you're like, who cares that they had a donkey? Do you know what I'm saying? Now, we would say today, okay, if it was written today, we would say, Jar, and he had 30 sons, and each of them drove a Cadillac Escalade. With spinner wheels. With spinner wheels. Do you understand what I'm saying? then we would say what? Or each of them drove a Mercedes or a Hummer. Did, did you understand? We would say then, wow, they got some funds. They're, they're doing okay, right? They're doing okay. All right, so this is the end of Judges. Now next week, we're going to look at another son who is totally different than Abimelech. His story is somewhat similar in as far as his upbringing, but his name is Jephthah. And he is another man appointed by God to judge them. There's some sad things about his story. We'll find that out later. But we'll talk about Jephthah next week.